So let's take our Bibles. We're looking to Hebrews chapter 11 today as we're just moving through this incredible passage of Scripture, uh, being encouraged in our faith to, to live out and exercise faith well. Uh, there's no doubt that we need to be encouraged in our faith because we live in an age that is full of evil. Violence is pervasive. Language is getting more and more coarse. Sexual debauchery and abuse abounds quickly. The morals of our communities, the mores, just seem to shift so easily uh, with the desires of people. So we might ask, how can we live so effectively with great faith in such an age, an ever-increasing, rebellious, and unholy age? How is it that we can live the way God would be honored? Noah's life gives us great insights. Noah lived at a time, this is what the Bible says in the sixth chapter of Genesis, Noah lived at a time when the wickedness of man was great on the earth Catch this, so that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Evil was so pervasive that the Bible notes that the earth was seen as corrupt by God. And the earth was full of violence. So not long before, God had looked at the creation and said it's very good. And now he looks and he says it's very corrupt through and through. It's pretty shocking, really, to see how quickly evil has consumed the world. Assuming that there are no breaks in the genealogy that has been listed for us in the fifth chapter of Genesis, Noah is actually only 10 generations in Adam's line. So in 10 generations, mankind has gone from walking gloriously with God in a very sinless creation to now every intention of his heart is given towards evil. It's not just that he has evil, every directive of his heart is moving in inclination to evil. Just 10 generations. Every, every purpose of the thinking of mankind was towards evil. It affected every aspect of creation. And so God's response was, I'm grieving and I have regret. And he determined that he would blot out all living creatures, including mankind. But while the wickedness was so thorough in the world, there was one ray of light. One ray of light amongst the darkness. And that was Noah. Noah was the man that God looked upon all of creation and said, I find favor with him. And he did that because Noah believed in God. He believed God as being the creator, believed him to be the sovereign, he believed him to be the savior. And in that belief, he obediently responded to God. Of all the people, Noah caught God's eye. I just want you to remind yourself and me that one person can make a profound difference in the world. One person at school that is full of evil, full of rebellion, full of disobedience, one student can make an impact. One person in a workplace that is inundated with sin can make an impact. 
One person among a neighborhood of sinners can make an impact. Noah was that one ray of light in the midst of darkness among all creation. You and I can be that person. In fact, God requires it of us as a church. He says, Meadowbrook, you should be like a city on a hill so that all those who are around it in darkness see your light. This is what we're required to live like. This, this is what faith is meant to be. It's meant to be exercised in a way and communicated in a way that you and I are the light in the midst of darkness. So when you feel overwhelmed with the darkness of the world, when you think that the news is nothing but bad, and when you think everybody around you seems to be against God but doing well in this world, settle into this truth. God has placed you in the midst of darkness so that you might be the single ray of hope and light around them. Amen. Live with that intentionality. That's what Noah was doing. Now, considering Noah's faith is going to prove challenging to us and it's going to be an inspiration to us. So let's go to chapter 11, verse 6 and 7. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So like Enoch... Noah believed in God's existence, and he believed with certainty that God was creator, that God was sovereign. Noah's faith moved him to live unto that belief. So everyone else is living their life in sin, going their own way, but Noah is different. Noah has allowed his belief and his faith in God to be exercised in who he is, his disposition as a person. And his faith in God gave him confidence to live differently than the sinful world around him. Moreover, his faith moved him to accept that God would reward him for his chaste living. So everybody else is living in opposition to God. Noah, of course, is the oddball, the one that's mocked and laughed at. But he believed that God would reward him for living unto his word. So that moves us, Noah's life moves us to consider a couple of things about righteousness, living rightly before God and others. I'll just mention these. First is that God gives us righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. The Apostle Paul communicates that over and over to reiterate the truth that any righteousness that you and I have is a gift that is given to us by God. It is by the, the accomplishment of Christ. It's received by faith. So such righteousness just doesn't, doesn't belong to mankind. We are not righteous people. There's no one righteous, the scripture says. No, not one. So if we're going to have righteousness, it is going to be a gift that is given to us and that we receive by faith. Noah had that. I could point out to you Romans 3, 21 and 22, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, what is this righteousness? The righteousness is of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So if you're unrighteous and you're listening to my voice, your unrighteousness, your, your life of unrighteousness is before you and you're hearing this scripture, listen, 
Your righteousness will not be earned. It won't be by merit. It won't be something you move towards. It will be something that you receive by faith as a gift from God. That's good news. The fact that Enoch and Noah are righteous men is because God made them righteous. They trusted God to accomplish that and give them that. And to even empower them to walk in the truth. So that's the number one thing I want us to remind ourselves of is that God gives righteousness and we receive it through our faith that's in him. Secondly, with this receiving of righteousness, we determine in faith to walk in that righteousness that is of God. So it's not just that Noah had righteousness because of faith that he had in God but that Noah determined to walk in that righteousness. Truly those that have been given the gift of righteousness by God are going to walk righteously. I want you to hear that because there is a disconnect from some to that truth. They believe, oh, I'll receive Christ by faith and I'm trusting that Christ will give me his righteousness and declare me to be right before God, but they don't move the next step forward. They don't take that next step of faith and the next step of faith. If God has given me and made me righteous, I'm gonna walk in righteousness. And they'll disconnect from that and they will not walk in righteousness. Let me tell you why they won't walk in righteousness because they don't have God's righteousness to begin with. People who rightly receive God's righteousness want to walk in that righteousness. I don't know about you. I don't want to live in the sin that I was born in. I don't want the old habits. I don't want the old language and I don't want the old ways. I want the new walk in Christ. And so I've received that by faith and now God is even empowering my faith that I might walk in that righteousness. And man, what a challenge that is for us to live in a world that is so against God, doesn't even believe there's an existence of God, much less that his judgment is upon them already and that they need to turn from their sin. If we're going to live in that kind of world, we've got to receive the righteousness of Christ by faith and we've got to walk in that righteousness by faith. You can't put your sight on the world. You've got to put your sight on the author and the finisher of your faith, who is Christ Jesus. So by grace, we have been saved through faith. And it's not of our own doing. It's a gift of God, isn't it? Not a result of work so that none of us can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You hear the connection there? Those who are saved are going to walk in that salvation. They're going to walk in it. It's going to be evident in it. So we have to trust God at all times to provide the saving grace through the faith that we have in him alone and trust him to enable us with that faith to walk fruitfully in righteousness by the empowerment of his spirit. Now pay close attention to the way Genesis 6, 9 gives summary to the life of Noah. Look what it says, it's on the screen for you. Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation. He was walking with God. Now he was a righteous man because of God's grace and he purposefully exercised his new heart's intent. I want you to buy into that truth. God has given you grace and made you a new heart 
where his Holy Spirit will dwell within you. And it has to be our intention to express that new life, that new nature that is ours by Christ. And Noah is a blameless man, blameless in his generation. In other words, the highlights of his life are radically different from the highlights of the sinful, rebellious world around him. He just lives differently. Nobody has an accusation against him that is going to stick. And he walks with God, which means he is coram Deo. He is walking before the face of God. He's walking in the presence of God. he's, He's not... He's not disconnecting the sacred and the secular. He's seeing everything as being before the face of God. So if he's living or working or in conversation or he's doing the mundane, he's doing it in a way unto God because he believes that God's presence is before him and he's before the presence of God at all times. Ma'am, the church would ignite with bold witness if we would constantly believe that we are walking before the face of God. That God's eyes are moving to and fro. He's looking. He's looking for the righteous. Oh, may he find it in us. May he see it in us. May it be so evident in us. So God poises us for extraordinary life and ministry when we live as Noah. When we live with intentionality and the righteousness that has been given to us by faith, when we are intentional to walk blameless before a very wicked world, and when we are intentional about walking before the face of God, God poises us for great, extraordinary living. So live as Noah lived. And the reason why I can say that with such conviction is Noah points us to Jesus. If you think Noah lived well, Noah is a type of Christ in the Old Testament to help people discover the Messiah when he comes and he has come. And we know him because he is the fulfillment of everything that Noah had faith that he would be walking in. So that moves us to verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm going to mention three things that stood out to me as I was just reading and rereading and rereading and prayerfully rereading this text. It's the way I study, just over and over and over. Here's the first. Faith, by the words of God, sees the unseen. Faith will allow us to see the unseen. Now, what is unseen that this text points out? Well, I can tell you God's judgment was unseen at the time Noah saw it. He saw it because God said it was coming. I'm going to judge the world and I'm going to destroy all living things except for the ones that come into that ark. That'll be you and your family, Noah. Now, God had not revealed his judgment like that before. In fact, Noah probably was thinking, God, look at the whole world. The whole world is full of evil. Everybody's doing rebellious things against you. Where are you? Does it look like the people who are doing evil are getting ahead in this world? Does it look like they're the winners in this world? Do you, do you think God has a blind eye to that? Man, if you think that, imagine what Noah probably thought. 
Because he had not seen God come in judgment against those people who were so sinful, so undeniably rebellious against God. But yet God said, I'm going to judge the world. And Noah heard God's word and he saw it. He saw it. He had never seen a flood before, but because God told him about the flood, he saw it. He had never discovered salvation before, never saw salvation, never saw God move in salvation before, but because God spoke it, Noah had faith to see it. And certainly he had never seen an ark before. What man who lives in the desert of the Middle East sees a boat? Never saw a boat, certainly never saw one being built in the desert, and never saw any vessel that would be 450 feet long, that's a football field and a half, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. But because God told him, Noah had enough faith that he could see it. Are you seeing the unseen? By the word of God, are you seeing the unseen? Now be careful, because you can get real wigged out right there. It can get convoluted pretty easy. Because for some people, their perception about God, or their hope about God, or their longing for a word from God, will become what they see. And that's not what he's talking about. This isn't an imagination about God or the things of God or even the word of God. No, 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 no. Bless God, he has made it that it doesn't have to be from our imagination. It doesn't have to be from inner dialogue in our mind. Oh, my friends, God has given us his word and when you and I have faith in God that this word is his, it's belonging to him, and we read it, though we may not experience it right now, we can see it. We know where this thing is going in the world. Why? Because we see it in his word. We know God's provision for us. Though we may not have it yet, we can see it because he has said it to us. We know those things. But be careful what you claim about God and believe about God thinking that it's going to come true because you claim it to come true as belonging to God. No, no, if God wants to give it to you, he'll give it to you in his word. Second thing, Noah not just had faith to be able to see the unseen, but Noah by faith had such reverential awe of God that it called him to radically obey God. So it's by faith that he reverences God, and that yields a wondrous, radical obedience of God. Now, Noah believed in God. He believed his word, and that put a holy fear in him. Now, I'm not talking about an anxiousness or a dread that might come because God has announced that there's an impending crisis ahead. I'm not talking about that. Instead, I'm speaking about Noah being overwhelmed by the magnitude of God. I'm talking about 
He understood God's utter holiness. He was staggered by the warning of judgment to come and that God would have the power to destroy all things that Noah had ever seen in his life and that he had the capacity in the mercy of God to actually rescue him and save him and his family who would go into the vessel that God said, I want you to build. It was when Noah had that kind of view of God that it caused him to have a holy struck fear in him and that provoked him to obey God radically. I mean, you can't get more radical than spend the next 12 decades building a boat in the desert of the Middle East. It's pretty radical, isn't it? That's the view that he had of God. What an amazing faith. Noah reverenced God to the extent that he was willing to obey him. And we could reverse that and say Noah reverenced God to the extent that he was unwilling to disobey him. So you may consider, how do I increase my fear of God? This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but just... Uh, Thursday or so just jotted down some things that I know have been very practical in my life that God wants me to continue to grow in. Uh, number one, just come to know God. You come to know God by the Bible. It's by his declared word. I would just beg of you, church, please be in God's word. Read God's word. I'm not talking about just, okay, I got the chapter read today, check. No, no. Read it with the intention of knowing God. Oh, man, you can discover God and the fullness of God. You, you can't help when you slow down, pencil in your hand, and you're making notes as you're going along. God, I'm coming to know you more. If you want to increase your reverence of God, then get more into his word. Be disciplined as well to reflect deeply on the realities of God. Okay, we live in a noisy world. We live in a fast-paced, busy, blurry world. We're, we're just stuff is going on all the time. You and I have to be disciplined to sit and discover God in his word and then be disciplined to meditate on the realities of God. To just contemplate the realities of God. To stop all the chatter, stop all the noise, stop all the podcast and the TV and everything else. Just be quiet before the Lord and just think about the realities of God. Meditate on them. You say, I don't know that I can do that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Purposefully reject what God rejects and lovingly embrace what God loves. If you want to reverence God more, then say no to the things that God has rejected and say yes Cling to those things that God has loved. If you want to grow in your fear of God, keep the day of the Lord in the forefront of your thinking. Just be mindful constantly that the day of the Lord is coming, a day of the end of this age when all will come before him and we will give an account for everything that is done in this body. Every idle word ever spoken will be brought to account in that moment. Every reward, reward that is needing to be given is going to be given and everything that is not of eternal value is going to be burned away. Keep that day, the day of the Lord, before you. Just re be reminded of the day of the Lord. And an awesome reverence will come into your heart, 
Reject the notion of the sacred and the secular divide. Stop thinking that Sunday is any different than any other day of the week other than it's a resurrection day. Listen, your day on Tuesday is meant to be just as holy as your day on Sunday. Stop thinking that your work is secular. No, my friends, your work is unto the Lord, glorious unto the Lord. It's sacred. Stop thinking that idle time is just idle time. No, no, no. It's sacred time. Don't divide the secular and the sacred. All things are made by God and for him, for the glorious nature of our Savior to, to have among his own. View all things as belonging to Christ for his glory. I've taken this paragraph out and I put it back in and this morning it was out. I put it back in today and I was praying even down there while we were singing, Lord, if you want this paragraph in there, you better give me a prompting when I get to it. I'm going for it. Here we are. <laughs> I'm concerned that churchgoers today are too distracted by the world to develop a reverential fear of God. Let me go out on this limb a little bit. Too many churchgoers are far too concerned with Halloween to know the holiness of God. I'm glad that Halloween is on Sunday this year. I pray that it will be a stark contrast. The holiness of God on that day will be a stark contrast to what the world is celebrating in the occult. I'm afraid that too many churchgoers are so enamored with the latest craze on Netflix to contemplate God's glory and they're too absorbed in their make-believe next post on social media to present themselves before God. Oh, my church, we're too distracted. Too distracted. It's with the holy fear of God that we will walk in obedience to him. Noah's deep reverence for God really was the provocation for this radical obedience that he had. He lived unto the Lord even though everybody else in the world was rebellious unto God. He constructed an ark that God had instructed him to do and he worked on it for 120 years he was a preacher that heralded the gospel without a single convert, yet for 12 decades, he did not stop preaching. He led his family to be discipled unto the Lord. Even though the world was rejecting, he led his family to accept God and to walk in God. And then finally, faith by God's purpose saves some and it condemns others. Noah's faith and obedience resulted in two outcomes. It resulted in the salvation for his family, but the condemnation of the entire world. He built an ark for nearly a century and a quarter. He proclaimed God's warning and salvation, and he preached righteousness, and he lived rightly before the world. In his final act of obedience to God, he went into the ark and God sealed the door with his judgment. 
And his family was saved along with those animals that God had brought into that ark. Throughout the 120 years, Noah's life and message pointed people to salvation. But when God closed the door, judgment was sealed. Then, to the shock and horror of mankind, the rain began to fall. And it didn't just rain a little. It rained insistently for 40 days and 40 nights. There was a couple of hours of rain in Birmingham not long ago, and four people died in a flash flood. An unrelenting rain for 40 days and 40 nights flooded the entire world. That message that Noah had been delivering was a message of warning. It was a message of opportunity. It was a message of judgment and salvation. And the same is true today. The gospel is God's message. It's a message of judgment and mercy. Don't disconnect that. The gospel is a message of judgment and mercy. If you knock off the judgment and you only talk about the mercy, if you knock off the punishment and you don't talk about the love, you are not presenting the gospel. You're not bearing forth the truth of God's word. Listen, the gospel doesn't mean much as good news unless you understand there's already bad news upon the mankind that's living in this earth. So when we proclaim, we proclaim a judgment of God and we pronounce that there is a good news of God, mercy and grace is extended. And certainly God rightfully judges all of people in their sin, condemning them to death, condemning them to eternal separation and an everlasting hell flame where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. Judgment. We declare God's judgment before all people, just as Jesus did in John chapter 3, verse 18. His hand of judgment is already upon those who do not believe. We also declare God is offering salvation for those who will believe and put their life and surrender in Jesus Christ. So just as the door of the ark had been open all those years and whosoever will may come, so you and I proclaim God's gospel that whosoever will may come. And as Noah's rejectors laughed at him and carried about in their wickedness, you and, I, you and I may be experiencing the same thing. They may be rejecting us. They might be carrying on in their rebellious nature. But there is coming a day that God will close the door and judgment will be sealed. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 1.18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So my friends, we proclaim the gospel with a sense of urgency because the Bible says that it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So let's be determined with a sense of urgency, knowing that the judgment is coming to proclaim God's judgment and his mercy that's available today. Because once that individual dies or once God returns in Christ, judgment is sealed. The reality may hit that all those warnings were right, but all that will just be a condemnation. Their own words will condemn them. Can I remind you of the words of Jesus as I'm coming to an end here? 
Jesus said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see what's happening there? Noah says to us, through this text individually and us corporately as a church, you need to have radical faith. You've got to be able to see what God has proclaimed to you. Though it not, is not seen today by others, you have to see it. You have to be filled with all reverential fear of God in order to have a radical obedience that would transpire in a world that is radically disobedient. And you, by faith's proclamation through Noah, must live a life that is glorious unto God, pointing out with word and living the judgment of God and the saving grace of God, calling all people to Christ Jesus come to him today is the day of salvation so church please let us not be distracted anymore let us be filled with faith let us be purposeful about it let it bring glory to Jesus and hope to those who are lost without this good news would you join me in prayer with your head bowed before the Lord, you're doing so out of respect for me. But more than that, my friends, you're doing it because you believe that God is being spoken to. And as we speak in the name of Jesus Christ, your head is bowed before him because he is the king over all kings and he is the Lord over lords. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you we hear your word and we want to receive it by faith and we want to let that faith be evident in us to walk differently, think differently, to be different. And where we have fought somehow, some way that we could live one foot in heaven and one foot in the world, God, we ask your forgiveness for such foolish thinking. Cleanse us of that where we have allowed the world's sin to hang around us like a weight, keeping us from that which is glorious, God, we pray that you would release that from us as we confess it to you. And we pray that that weight and sin which so binds us will be freed from us. That we might walk in the way of Christ our Lord. We pray by the Spirit that you would increase our faith, that we would see what is unseen, and that we would receive your word with such truth and believe you with such fullness that it would strike in us a reverential awe to live differently from this world. And we pray, God, that you would stir in us a deep desire to share with others this judgment and mercy that is being extended through your word. So help us, God, I pray. Now, maybe you have a decision right now that needs to be followed through with. 
And we'll give you opportunity to do that by coming forward during this last and final song. Maybe just place yourself before God and saying, oh God,